Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode is just myself doing a Q&A. This is the first Truly Fit q and I'm going to be doing more of these in the future. If you have questions you would like me to answer, always send them to social at trulyfit.app. I am the one who looks at those questions directly, not a virtual assistant. They get forwarded to me, so I get to look through these questions. Today, I'm only going to answer maybe a half a dozen questions. There are 50, 60 questions that I was sent. I'm not going to have time to answer all of those. I have not looked at these questions uh, in advance. I will let you know that. So if you hear me being a little bit slow to answer, it's because if I believe the question cannot be answered by me on site, let's say it's a more science-based question, then I'm going to skip to the next question. But I'm just going to randomly open five to eight questions and answer off the cuff. First question here. Steve, I really enjoyed your podcast with Dr. Vimmel George. I find that a lot of my clients are general population and have the same health issues you discussed. How do I work to get my clients to care more about their health and to come to sessions and not cancel? Uh, I'll take I'll take this apart in two avenues here. As far as canceling sessions are concerned, I think it's really important you sit down with your client and you tell them that this is both of your time that's being invested into this process. So they're wasting your time. If you're not getting them to their goal, you can be getting someone else to their goal. And because of that, that they need to respect your time and that you're going to charge them if, if they miss. And then if they miss a certain amount of sessions, then maybe you're just not going to work with them because the, the, you know that they don't care about the process. And if they don't care about the process, then why do you want to spend time with them trying to get them fit, fit, all while knowing that they're probably going to miss the next session and not do the right things in the back end? So this is this is a collaborative process. You have to explain that to your client, right? You're both investing in their health and that they need to do their part. And uh, different tips and tricks that you can do to make sure that they get to the sessions is number one, ask them what, and and you can take some of the, epi- uh, excuse me, some of the points I, I talked about with Meg Letty in my burnout episode is what is going on in your life? Are you missing this uh, and you're canceling on me because work is running late? Well, then maybe we need to train at 5 a.m. and not 5 p.m. because you get off work at 4.30 and every day you tell me you're too tired to train. Well, guess what? That's going to continue to happen. We're not solving any problems here. So that you have to come at 5 a.m. instead of 5 p.m. Maybe it's that your clients can only work out on the weekends. Well, then find a way. right? Find a way to work out every Saturday and Sunday. And then maybe they get one more day in. Do what you can to assess their life. Have them run down their schedule. Find, find the problems that they have. And work around that. And make sure that the exercise isn't coming... In sort of a, oh, if it works, it works fashion, but that it's being prioritized in their life and explain to them, I'm, I am trying to help you prioritize health and fitness because that is interconnected to so many other areas of your life. And that leads into the second part of the question is that that leads into the, the health dynamic of their life, which in turn helps every other area. It helps their relationships with their family and friends. Why? Because they're happier, their mood's elevated, they feel better, they have uh, better sort of mental well-being. They have thoughts about the future and they have confidence in themselves and their life moving forward. I mean, there's only benefits here to doing exercise. So you have to, you have to really uh, engage 
with your client on a psychological level and let them know this isn't just about me getting you better biceps. This is about me trying to make you healthier. Your doctor told you your A1C levels are too high. Your doctor told you you have cholesterol problems. You know, you have a history of, of of chronic obesity or some sort of uh, cancer in your family, we need to make sure that we are staving off old age and health issues as long as we can. You need to come here for not just vanity, but for health and fitness. And in order to do that, you have to invest in the process. I have to invest in the process. I need to keep you accountable or else you're not going to come. And then you've just wasted all this time and money coming once every two weeks and pretending you're actually working on something. We have to keep our clients accountable and we have to let them know that we're going to keep them accountable. And I think that's the answer. Hi, Steve. My name is Danielle. I'm not a personal trainer, but I enjoy the podcast. I am starting my road to becoming a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer. I do see people in the gym using equipment improperly and having bad form. Sometimes I think I should stop them, but I don't. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Danielle, this is a heated question. Uh, There's a lot of gray area. Let me break it down in a few areas. Number one, I will say You need to be an absolute expert, not only in personal training. You can be a personal trainer with a certification and still have no experience with a particular movement, right? I I am not an Olympic weightlifting coach. So if I see somebody doing Olympic weightlifting improperly, I can notice that they're doing it improperly, but I don't really have the skill set to go over and teach a snatch perfectly. Therefore, I'm not going to stop them, right? I, if you do, right, if you're an Olympic weightlifting coach and you have thousands of hours of doing this, I think it is not only right, but it's at minimum, it's justified uh, for you to go over there privately, hopefully, right? Maybe while they're in between sets and say, hey, listen, I just want to let you know I've been watching some of your movements and, you know, I'm an Olympic weightlifting coach or, you know, I have this certification, these degrees. I've been doing this for a long time and there's one or two things you're doing wrong. and I'm just worried that you could potentially get injured. So let me show you a trick or two here that's really going to help you. We're going to take off some weight. We're going to focus on A, B and C. If you're not willing to actually help the person and you're just there to point out a problem, then you're the issue, right? Because we're not trying to just tell people what they're doing is wrong. We have to tell them what they're how to do it properly. You have to be willing to spend that time with that person if you're going to stop them. So again, you should be an expert and you should be able to help them. And then third, I think maybe the the most important thing of all here is that you have to be dead set sure that this could cause an acute injury, not a long-term injury. Meaning there are arguments in the fitness industry. Should I lift my uh, shoulder in a lateral raise above lateral raise above 90 degrees? If you see somebody doing that and you disagree with it, it's not going to cause them an acute injury. It might cause them long-term injuries through their shoulder and through the joints, but that's not going to cause them an acute injury if they're lifting the weight one inch higher than you believe they should lift the weight. So no, you do not stop something uh, for that sort of cause, right? A disagreement and if you should go knees over toes. These are arguments in the industry that that have not been like solidified and finalized yet and they're not causing acute injuries. They may cause long, long-term injuries and you have to make sure that you're only stopping people if you think this person is going to drop the weight on their head and die, basically, right? Or they're using a machine in such a way where you're like, they are really close to just blowing their knee out. Like they should not be fully locking their legs out with 500 pounds on this leg sled. There, there are certain things you should certainly think about their safety, but don't be what I would call lifting pedantic 
and say, and say, I have a particular way that I do this style, and this person is not doing it how I do it, so I'm going to tell them they should do it this way, right? So somebody isn't locking their arms out in a shoulder press because maybe they're trying to put undue stress on their anterior delts and not really get their triceps involved, but you think they just don't know what they're doing. So there are other levels to this game. They could know way more than you could know and be doing an exercise that's happened to me before. I had someone come over and stop me when doing something. I was doing an exercise rehabbing muscles in and around my adductors. And part of the exercise is me having to go knees over toes on a BOSU, on a single leg exercise to really try to build up the inner part of my quad and do different things with squeezing the adductor in a band. It was a very intricate exercise. And they were like, hey, just to let you know, you shouldn't do that. I said, excuse me, what do you mean I shouldn't do that? Do you have 30,000 hours of personal training? Do you know what uh, post-op inguinal hernia surgery exercises look like? No? Oh, neither of those things? Did you write a book called Fitness Business 101? Oh, no? Okay, well, well, thank you for your time. Was that extremely rude of me? Yeah, that was extremely rude. But guess what? It set a precedent and a point. So that person, because if he was willing to do it to me, he probably goes around the gym all day and does that. So now he knows, unless somebody is getting injured, and I, and I believe that I'm actually helping them, I'm not going to just point out things that I believe are right in the fitness industry. I have to make sure I'm really trying to help somebody because there are a lot of nuances and there are a lot of things that we don't know yet. So again, people may be doing an exercise that is above your pay grade. Their physical therapist gave to that person and you're just, you know, you, you haven't learned it yet. And you're going to look dumb if you go tell that person like that person did to me that they shouldn't be doing that particular exercise. Uh, I'll, let me run down these th three things again. I think it's important. Number one, if you're willing to stop somebody, you better be an expert, not only in personal training, but in that particular movement. Number two, you better be willing to help them, not just point out what they're doing wrong, but actually do it in a genuine way in which you're trying to help them not be mean. And number three, most importantly, make sure these movements are potentially acutely harmful, which means they're going to do damage right there and then. It could be an accident or an incident, not something that you believe is bad for their joints long term. Do you believe that yoga is helpful for golf? Uh, yes, I do. I believe that uh, golf is very particular movement, that rotational movement. Yoga obviously does a lot of that, right? You can think of a lot of the poses in which you have, you know, let's like triangle, in which you are rotating through the thoracic spine. And it is very important you're able to do that in golf. If you look at the, some golfers like, let's say, Ricky or Phil, they smack the ball 300 plus yards. They don't have an ounce of muscle on their body, right? There's no one exercise that Ricky and Phil can do that I can't or that they're stronger at than I am. But, you know, I can't hit the ball over 240. Now, yes, is it an efficiency of the motion and tens and tens of thousands of repetitions? Sure. But it's also their ability to rotate and their flexibility, and it's not just power. Everyone thinks it's just power from, from the ground up or something. No, that's that's not the case, right? It's not just power. It's also rotational ability. So yoga helps with that. Yoga helps with the small muscles in the legs, right, and stabilization. When you have that thoracic rotation, you need to stabilize through the lower body. You need to separate your thoracic rotation from your lower body. So that's very important. Yoga can help to do that. Yoga helps with engaging muscles and mind-body connection, and it also helps for the, with the mental side, right? Yoga is different than other modalities in that sometimes you have to really push past the pain in a way that you can't in another exercise. Like a chair sit is very like yoga-esque, right? When you are a wall sit, which was like a punishment that they uh, used to make us do in high school or something for if, uh, if, you, if you relate to practice as an athlete. 
where in yoga you have to hold poses for long periods of time and you have to sit mentally with yourself and turn your mind off or disassociate or or continue to think good thoughts or somehow like semi-meditate. In, in a regular lifting practice, that's not the case. Even if you're squatting 400 pounds, you're getting amped up and it's a four-second endeavor that you're up and down. You either, get the, you either get the repetition or you don't. So holding poses for long periods of time represents a, a different sort of mental test and golf is a mental game. So any additional mental test that you can have uh, on your psyche is going to benefit you when you get onto the course, which is a very long game. You can be playing great for three hours and then fall apart in the last 45 minutes and, and have a terrible score. So yes, yoga from a physiological perspective, from a psychological perspective, there there is only benefits for yoga and golf. And if you're somebody who works with golfers and you are a yoga instructor or group fitness instructor or you're a personal trainer who has a little bit of knowledge of yoga, you need to pitch your golfers and say you spend tens of thousands of dollars a year at the golf course uh, let's say on a membership, you spend thousands of dollars a year on personal one-on-one sessions with golf instructors. You spend thousands of dollars on your on your clubs. You're buying all these wacky tools and toys at you know 2 a.m. on QVC. I don't even know if that still exists. Um, but see, I don't even know if that still exists. Um, but what you're not doing is investing in your your health and your golf fitness. And golf fitness and yoga certainly do pair together. Okay, uh, next question here. Uh, okay, this is a, a, a little, uh, seems uh, promotional, but uh, Steve, do you believe FMS screens work and is it worthwhile becoming FMS certified as a personal trainer? Uh, I can tell you that I will have this answer within a month. I don't have it now. We are having somebody on the podcast to specifically discuss functional movement, functional movement screens or FMS screens. Now, I will briefly touch on this. Eric Degatti uses them. He was he's been on the podcast. He works specifically with athletes, uh, younger a lot of younger and uh, I should say all ages, but a lot of younger athletes, high school athletes. And he you know swears by the FMS screen. A Jane who's coming on Jane and a Bridget who own Custom Fit in Savannah, Georgia, who they've been on the podcast before. They're going to come on to talk about the FMS screen in depth. And that's when we'll get more information. But I will say on the other side, because I like to you know sort of present multiple views and sort of con- and contrarian views, is that uh, again I don't know much about this, but I did have a uh, somebody from uh, Impact Fitness, Dr. Bobby, was on the podcast, and he's a physical therapist, and he doesn't believe in the FMS screens. And I maybe should have pushed him to elaborate. We were going into a different direction, but he did say something to the extent of, hey, we have the data on the FMS screens. They used to tell, they used to supposedly tell if people had more prevalency to getting injury injured based upon a particular score of their FMS screen. Because I do know that the FMS screen gives you like sort of objective numbers when they analyze certain things, right? They might analyze your squat and you get a number and they analyze your lunge and you get a number and rotation, and you get a number. And then those numbers are supposed to objectively uh, tell you if you're more likely to get injured. Now, it, it seemed as if, and I'm not going to speak for him, uh, Dr. Bobby was trying to say that that's not the case. We know that's not the case. And it's I don't, I don't want to go as far as nonsense, but he was not about the FMS screen. So it'll be interesting to, to hear 
uh, Jane's take. I'll probably reach out to Eric just to get a little bit more information on what, how he uses the FMS screen, although he did describe it slightly in, in his podcast. And then if uh, we, we need another view on this, right, let's say uh, Jane and Brigitte come on and then I get the, the viewpoint from, from Eric who, who believes in it, maybe I'll have Dr. Bobby on again to discuss why he doesn't think the FMS is great. But uh, I don't use it. I don't know much about it. Uh, I'm all for screens in, in most cases, provided they don't take up too much time with our clients and we separate that out, right? I don't want to be doing a screen every single time the client comes in and wasting 30 minutes on a session. If it's just an initial screen or we do it every once in a while. Question here. Steve, do you believe that the fitness world is changed forever due to the pandemic? Um, I, I assume uh, this person meant sort of the online aspect of what is going on. I, I don't know, but the, I'll, I'll just speak to that trying to unpack this question because they didn't they didn't uh, elaborate. But has the fitness world changed through the pandemic because now we need to shift online? I, I, yes, I, I do think so. I think that's I think that's fairly obvious that you need to have some sort of footprint or foothold in the online marketplace. If you're only on site and you've built a business already years and years and years of it that's great but now that you see what could potentially happen right this pandemic wasn't special and this can happen at any point it could happen next week and it could be worse right the the fact that this pandemic was only as deadly as it was and, and I'm, I'm not scoffing at the the pandemic it was very dead and I'm, I'm not scoffing at the the pandemic it was very deadly but as as only as deadly as it was meaning it wasn't Ebola-esque in, in its ratio of infection to deaths. It was just luck, right? We could have another one that is way worse than this, right? Or we can have another one that's that's similar to this next week, right? There's no reason why this can't happen. So you need to be prepared at all times. And more importantly than that, what I talk about a lot is you need to be prepared for things to be taken away from you. And if you do have a foothold online, Make sure that you're not fully invested in these platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and that you have a website because at any time, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook can change their algorithms. They can find something on your site that they believe deem is, is not meeting their codes and values because they can update their codes and values at any time. And if you don't agree with them, then you, you still have to get off of their platform. So they hold all the cards. You pay no money to be on those platforms. You need a website in order to have full autonomy and agency over your decision making and your business long term. So don't rely completely on the socials. I'm not telling you to not have a footprint and a stronghold in some of the socials, but make sure you also have a website. But yes, moving forward, that's why I that came up with TrulyFit. Right? That's why I'm the co-founder of TrulyFit because we believe, Mike and I, that the future of fitness has to be somewhat online, and we want people to be able to find fitness professionals from all over the world to work virtually with them or to find them locally if they want to work locally. But we believe that fitness professionals should have a place where anybody who's looking to train with a health or fitness professional or meet with one or talk with one can go to one source, one marketplace, and you can you can charge whatever it is you want. Right? You want to charge $20 for somebody to do a half hour one-on-one -on -one session with you? You want to charge $2,000. It doesn't matter to us as long as that person's willing to pay it. And uh, you could, if you're listening here and, and the platform, it's probably, who knows, maybe two months out uh, from being launched. It's been pushed back 
probably over a year at this point. And that's just, it is what it is. Businesses take a long time to build up, especially when you're on the software app marketplace. There's always things that go wrong. There's always more work to be done. But I will move on here to the final question. And that is, Steve, thank you for the podcast. I've really enjoyed a lot of the episodes. I had a question specifically about an episode you did and Pilates. Uh, well, I did a bunch of episodes about Pilates, so I'm not sure which one they're speaking of. But in that, you talked about reformer training versus Matt Pilates. Can you expand on this? Yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Pilates, you have a reformer, which is a piece of equipment that you can use. And there's different sort of obviously, obviously intricacies within the reformer and different levels of the reformer. There's a Cadillac and there's there's ways in which you can manipulate the reformer to turn into, for lack of a better term, transform, uh, hence to reform, transform that reformer into um, uh, different equipment. It looks completely different. Uh, you can make it a bed as opposed to just seeing the carriage on top. But anyway, I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. You can use the equipment. In the, in, with the using the Pilates concepts, or you can use the floor, which is just a mat and maybe some tools like a Pilates ring. You've seen those circular rings before, uh, or a, a ball, a bender ball. And they are different modalities in that, obviously, having a just your body and a few pieces of equipment, you're not going to be able to do as much as you would on a reformer. But the training itself is also different. You can become floor Pilates certified and, and not know how to use a reformer necessarily. It's not like all the training is the same. Uh, it's very, very difficult to use a reformer in the proper way, a reformer in the proper way uh, as far as knowing every single thing you can do with it, right? You need you know, hundreds of hours of, of training before you're probably you know, con considered an expert at using a reformer. Uh, I believe it's for everybody. Anybody can use it. Uh, not anybody can teach it, but anybody can use it. Any client can find benefit, uh, whether you're a golfer or whether you're a, a young, uh, young fit person or whether you're somebody who's never worked out in your life. You, you can find benefit in using the reformer. As far as Matt Pilates is concerned, uh, I, I'm I'm personally I'm somebody who's who's not a fan. I'm not telling you that it's not great for you, uh, but I, uh, I I prefer to have the more toys and to use the reformer. And then in, in addition to that, it's uh, there's not as many modifications, right? If you're on if you only have your body to use, there's only so many modifications. If you have toys to use, you have more modifications. You have more variables, right? The more variables, the more exercises. That's just a fact. Exercises. That's just a fact. So anyhow, uh, those were the questions for today. I hope I answered them thoroughly enough. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Truly Fit podcast and for joining me here. I really do appreciate you guys. And and honestly, I love the emails when people write in. So social at trulyfit.app. Reach out at any time, whether you have suggestions on future episodes, whether you have critiques of episodes I've done in the past, whether you want to be on the podcast, whether you know somebody or think that there's a really good guest opportunity, feel free to send it. Questions on Truly Fit app coming out, the marketplace that's going to help personal trainers build their business for free, whether you have questions on my course, whatever it is, feel free. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.